Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, yo. Welcome to another edition of the Bleed Los Podcast. If you don't understand that homage, uh, no big deal. Uh, big uh, condolences to uh, everyone in Scott Hall's family and his friends. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, which obviously you do because you're here, uh, you would know that we are wrestling fans. So uh, the world lost the real one in Scott Hall. So uh, deepest condolences to to his family and uh, and friends. Uh, fly high, Razor Ramon, because, uh, you know, the bad guy never dies. And if again, if you know uh, what I'm saying, then you you know, if you know, you know. But on this week's episode, we are joined by Janet Marie Smith. Janet Marie Smith is the Senior Vice President of Planning and Development for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So that long title amounts to all the cool renovations that you've seen at Dodger Stadium. She has had her hands all over those. So we talk about those renovations. We talk about some stuff that's coming up. Uh, one of the big things is the statutes. Um, we we, we uh, find out who that statute's coming from. It, it's, a, it's a confirmation. We had... Uh, uh, we'd also, you know, kind of dive into some of the historical projects she's worked on and, uh, you know, just kind of a, a general idea and a general sense of what's incoming for Dodger Stadium up at Chavez Ravine. So great conversation with Jana Marie. Talk about some other stuff that she's done with other stadiums as well, other ventures here in Los Angeles as well. So great conversation with her. So without further ado, here is Jana Marie Smith, who is the Senior Vice President of Planning and Development for your Los Angeles Dodgers. This is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your Los Angeles Dodgers. And now, it's time for the Bleed Lows Podcast with your hosts Alonso and Juan with the baby face gimmick in the sky, Roger. And on this episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast, in the Carnasada, we have uh, Executive Vice President of Planning and Development for the Los Angeles Dodgers, your Los Angeles Dodgers, Janet Marie Smith. Janet, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for joining us. We, uh, as you know, uh, there, there's been a, a you know a bunch of new stadiums open, and you've had your hand in a bunch of stadiums as well around baseball. One of my personal favorite stadiums, uh, Camden Yards. Who uh, it's kind of they're kind of like Eminem. They don't get the props they deserve. That's a beautiful stadium. Yeah, it's about uh, to turn thirty too. Isn't that crazy? It's insane. It's insane. I uh, want. Well, we just wanted to dive into it. As far as the renovations go, because you've also had your hand in the renovations go at Dodger Stadium, how, how, how has everything gone and has it gone to plan as to where we are today? Yeah, I mean, we're so excited about what this new Centerfield Plaza, the new front door, my boss, Dan Caston calls it. Um, I mean, Dodger Stadium has never had a front door and never had the ability for fans to move 360 around the building. And so we did this huge project uh, that was scheduled to debut in 2020. Of course, we all know what happened to that season. And then last year, because of COVID, we had to, you know, open at a, you know, just a percent of our capacity. And it just felt like we never really hit our stride. So we're just so excited about the 2022 season and hosting the All-Star Game. And feels like um, this huge effort that we put into the renovations of Dodger Stadium in the 10 years that 
um, that the Guggenheim partners and their partners have owned the club. Um, it just really felt like it paid off and this is the icing on the cake and feels like, uh, feels like last year was kind of a trial, trial run. <laughs> so we're ready for it. I, I wanted to ask you, cause I know that there, there's the bridge that's going to be built that gives fans that unobstructed view for the first time in history. How, how feel you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. How how did that idea kind of come about? Because that that honestly, it's brilliant. Because obviously, as everyone knows, if you've been to Dodger Stadium, there wasn't anything there. Obviously, there wasn't a front door, and now it's going to be completely different to what it was previously. So how yeah, how did that a, idea kind of come? It's amazing. About? You know, it's you, the area you're talking about is right above the batter's eye. So it's it's the thing that um, is the most visible part of the park, and up until we built the centerfield plaza and did the work in the in the outfield pavilions that spot was only available to the to the centerfield camera and it's just really so much fun and i think to your question of how did it come about you know as the parks have evolved over the last generation the outfield is sort of new again <laughs> um, you know i think it went through a period of time maybe because of the round park era when you were so far away from the field and there were so many upper deck seats that the outfield kind of got, you know, it was treated like, uh, like second class. And yet there's some of the most amazing views and you're down low and close. And at Dodger Stadium, we built these home run seats in what used to be the cavity between the outfield wall and, that, and the 1962 pavilion seats. So if you're lucky enough to get one of those, you really are right there on the wall. So it's just that I think the whole the whole project really speaks of an opportunity to take this classic 1962 park, which which is celebrating its 60th season this year. You know, that's pretty cool, too. That's a pretty big milestone. Um, and it just makes those seats really, really something special when when the park opened. And frankly, actually, all the way up until 2013, those pavilions were treated like separate parts of the stadium. You had to have a separate ticket. You went in, you went, went underneath the bleachers. There were no restrooms there. You had to go back to the main stadium to go to the restroom, tiny little concession, tiny little concourse. And it's just so wonderful how this overall project has allowed all of that to just come to life and blossom in a way that um, I think keeps Dodger Stadium behaving uh, as as current as an old building can and really, you know, just brings to our fans the kind of amenities and um, carefree uh, spaces to move around, come early, stay late. The SNLA stage set for the pre and post game show is out there, a bunch of fun food. The Dodgers often do live bands and of course, last year we had the World Series trophy out there. You know, it's just fun stuff. Janet, um, you are a native of Mississippi, is that correct? Sure am. So I, I have this goal to try to visit every state in, in the country. There, it's, it's so funny because I know so many people, they want to travel abroad, and I'm just like, look, I still haven't seen so much of my own country. I, I you know... I, I want to go and I'm a stadium chaser, right? So I try to go to all the stadiums in MLB. I have 17 down, but I, I need to know when I go to Mississippi, 
what do I need to see in Mississippi? And, and what was it like growing up in Mississippi? Because to me, Mississippi just seems like such an alien concept. And I mean, look, no offense, yeah, but I am. Its, West- own, it's its own island. The South is its own <laughs> island. <laughs> yes. Explain to me. Explain to me for like a, a West Coast guy who just never wants to leave California. What is Mississippi like? Oh, it's it's great. It's a it's a place with just big a big personality. You know, go hungry. The food is unbelievable. Um, they love their baseball, and, and SEC baseball is just the best. So um, the the Braves are maybe the only team that can really claim to be a part of uh, Major League Baseball in the South. I know there's another Florida team, so Florida's not really part of the South. You know, it's 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 a, it's another continent, but. Um, <laughs> But there's real baseball uh, there. There's great minor league baseball. And um, I'm especially fond of Duty Noble Field at Mississippi State in Starkville, since that's where I went to college. And it was right in the backyard of the architecture school. So I spent a, spent a lot of hours out there. So what was it about architecture that you, was passionate to you? To you? Because I, I, I love hearing you guys discuss your, your ideas for what you wanted to do to the stadium, because... You, you, for me, architecture is an art form, right? There, there's a, yeah. there's a reasoning for why you guys do that stuff. What, what, what drew you to architecture? Well, my dad was an architect, so no doubt I grew up, you know, with that sort of uh, front and center. Uh, but I think what really, um, I think what really burnished my interest in the built form was just the love of cities. I just, I really um, can't get enough of cities. You know, I, I love. I love walking to work, even in Los Angeles. You know, you walk down Sunset Boulevard, you just get to know a place so well, and the energy is so uh, so present. And I think that's one thing I love about baseball too, is it's always been such a reflection of the city it's in. And I think that's really what I love about baseball parks is that they vary so much, not just because the outfield is different and the foul territory is different, but just the, the personality of the parks and the food that's served and the way the national anthem is sung and the seventh inning stretch and just sort of the whole, um, the whole scene around the game, it varies from place to place. And it's just such a fantastic uh, way of learning about different cultures. So you're, you're 17 down and 13 to go will teach you a lot about America. Yeah, no, I, I mean, were you a sports fan growing up? Because I never would have put the two together, architecture and sports. But looking at your resume, you have made a, a living working in the sports industry, doing what you love to do. Well, that was accidental. I can tell you, I sometimes have to pinch myself because who would have ever thought that um, that Camden Yards, which I uh, was my first baseball project, uh, would have turned into a career that would have led me to Dodger Stadium, but I really have have just loved it, and I've loved it because um, it's a chance to to mold and shape something that is, you know, this really of civic importance. You know, I think that's the other thing about baseball that I just love is that it's it's more than a sport, and um, it's not called the national pastime for nothing. You know, and um, hosting 81 plus games a year is not insignificant. You know, it, it's, it allows so many people from so many cultures to enjoy the game. 
And it really becomes, I think, a real, you know, sort of a, a big public square in many ways. And it's just a, a place where so many people of all ages and backgrounds can kind of come together. And baseball is so popular in so many other countries, you know, from Japan to Mexico. It's just, um, it, it gives us a common language, uh, quite literally. And I think that's um, what makes it so interesting to me. And I, it's one reason I just love working for the Dodgers is that the Dodgers history is just phenomenal. And in many ways, studying their move from Brooklyn to Los Angeles is a study in uh, the change of in, in attitude about urban planning in America and um, how, how the West grew up, <laughs> you know, all of those things. It's, uh, it's, it's the story of baseball, yeah, but it's also the story of how America changed. Um, in the middle of, a, of, of the 20th century. And um, Dodger Stadium itself is such a product of this mid-century modern architecture and, one, and, and the only stadium with that style. You know, I've had a chance to work on the renovation of Fenway. And even though Fenway is um, opened in 1912, you know, 110 years ago, it and Camden Yards actually have more in common than Dodger Stadium. It just is such a funky place and so unique, but that, so is Los Angeles, you know? So right that is. So before I send it back to Alonzo, I don't know if this quote is attributed to you, but I, I, it makes so much sense to me. And that is no longer do you sit in one place for a whole game and keep score with a program with a number two pencil. And the renovations that you guys did at Dodger Stadium, I, I feel like that quote is so true because I start off at the Centerfield Plaza. I go up to the pavilions. If friends are there and they're sitting in the loge and look, as a fat boy, Janet, I thank you for putting in the elevators because when I would buy seats up in the top deck and I would take the shuttle into the stadium you know, you had the the escalators for a very short trip, but after that, I mean, I needed an oxygen tank by the time I got up to my seat. So the, the fact that you really have turned that into a place where I want to spend all day. Well, you're and our that, kind of fan. And you, but you <laughs> see, you've just said something really important too, because that is the beauty of Dodger Stadium is that those, those, that top of the park, and the reserve area has the most glorious views of downtown Los Angeles in one direction, San Gabriel Mountains in the other, but they were so inaccessible. And, and for good reason, when the park was designed by Neil Prager and Walter O'Malley in the late 50s, early 60s, their thesis was that fans would park on every level, come in that level, and back in those days, your ticket, your seat and your parking pass all were color coded to match. Um, and on the top deck, there's actually this great display uh, that shows how the tickets and the seats all match. It's, it's true, you know, we didn't make Is it the up. one where the seats and yeah. in the top deck, that's, that's the display you're talking about? Okay. Yeah. Um, but it was hard to get there if you didn't park on that level. And um, so in addition to the, I'm glad you mentioned the elevators because we're so proud of those. You know, we've got four new elevators, five new, five, five new elevators, four new escalators and six bridges. And the Metro bus stops not only in center field, but it also comes around and makes a stop at the top of the park and a pickup at the top of the park. So we've really worked hard, both looking in the mirror and also with Metro to make the entire park a lot more accessible 
uh, for our fans. So they really can enjoy that. Um, you know, we don't want to take away from the game. We still want you in all nine innings. You know, they all count uh, from first pitch to last out. But we, we want you to be able to enjoy the game the way you want to. Uh, and, it, you know, listen, it's a long sport and baseball gets criticized for that. So uh, all the better if there are a lot of ways of taking that, those nine innings and really just in, enjoying them as you will. I know, speaking of, of you know, the beauty and the history of, of the game and, and parks, you had, a, had your hand in everything that's happened at Fenway from basically 2002 to 2009-ish. And, and I remember one thing that stood out to me is uh, uh, at the time, President and CEO uh, of the Red Sox, Larry Lucino, uh, wanted to basically make Fenway Park accessible and welcoming to everybody. And, at, you know, it's an older park. Juan and I probably can't sit in some of those seats because we're bigger guys. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and you, you did a lot there and, and you, but the thing that I've, I've noticed, and it's, it's a trend with you, whether it's there, whether it's in Baltimore is the preservation of the, of the historical elements of the stadium. And I know, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but previous ownership of the Red Sox before uh, John Henry and Tom Wiener and Lucino all took over, they wanted to originally tear down Fenway, right? Yeah, exactly. And which is crazy. Yeah, they were the only ownership group that wanted to say that bid on the club that wanted to say Fenway. Which is crazy to me. With the, I that I'll never understand. For the life of me, I will never understand. I know everyone likes the new shiny toy, but for me, at least with baseball, you, you got to preserve that history. And, and one of the things that you did is you also not only preserved the history, but you enhanced the overall experience. You know, I know you did the club seating. Uh, you know, the, 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 as someone that works in media, I, I do uh, uh, stuff for the University of Utah Athletic Program. Uh, you made the press box bigger. So, I mean, that, you know, little things like that go a long way. But you also had, you know, hand in adding seats to the Green Monster. How, how was that kind of, you know, what was the reception like originally well, when you kind of came it, with these ideas? That was one of the first things we did. And it was really, in many ways, the addition of the seats on the Green Monster were a litmus test for us to see how fans would respond to change at Fenway Park. Um, Larry Lucchino had this mantra uh, uh, the entire time that he was uh, president and CEO of do no harm. And um, yet we wanted to modernize the place. We, we wanted it to look and feel like your grandfather's ballpark but we, we didn't want you standing in line for the restrooms. We wanted you to have fresh food that had been cooked in the kitchen adjacent the stand. We wanted to have the space in the concourse, retail stores, the, you know, just the sheer ability to sort of move around. And we found that space by doing creative things like putting turnstiles on Jersey Street um, and making that an inside the park experience. It was already closed to vehicular traffic. So why not allow our fans with tickets to be out there and not have to be so squished. And the Green Monster seats were constructed for the 2004 season. And I think what we, we felt, we knew it would be radical, um, but we worked really closely with our architects, DAIQ, who are based in Somerville, Mass, very near Fenway Park, uh, to design those so that they felt right and that they were special. You know, we could have stuffed 500 and you know, 5,000 seats there and created the equivalent of a left field outfield um, over Lansdowne Street, but we just thought they wouldn't be special anymore. And so instead we opted 
to do a drink rail, a bar stool, and to do a, you know, a select number of seats so that they would hold their value and hold their cachet and look like an extension of the wall, the green monster. And we were doing that project using um, historic tax credits, which meant we not only had to go to the Boston uh, city process for a review of anything that happened at Fenway Park, but the state and the National Park Service as well. And so we thought if we started with something like the Green Monster seats, it would give us a feeling of how receptive our fans would be, how receptive these different layers of government would be. Um, and it was a winner, you know, it, 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 here, here we are, what, you know, I don't know, almost 20, 18 years, 20 something years later, and yeah. um, they're still super popular. And um, we are grateful that the city of Boston let us um, lease the air rights over Lansdowne to do that. Um, you know, but this, these projects are often most, most in the case of Dodger Stadium and Fenway Park being done with private money, with the team's money, but make no mistake, if it weren't for the cooperation of the city and their uh, um, willingness to work with us on these projects, they couldn't happen and couldn't happen as quickly as, as we do them. Um, in the case of Dodger Stadium, that was especially important. You may remember that when Stan Kasten um, became president and CEO in 2012, when Guggenheim bought the club, one of the, fir the first thing we did in the off season uh, was this huge hundred million plus renovation that doubled the size of the clubhouse, that built 32 new restrooms, uh, two big new team stores, new concession stands, um, and really tried hard to make a good first impression. You know, that old adage of one, one, one chance to make a good first impression. And this ownership group really wanted to make certain that the players and the fans knew their commitment to Dodger Stadium. But you can't do that kind of work, just like you can't do that Centerville Plaza in one single off season without the city working really closely with you on permitting inspections and all of that kind of good stuff. No, and, and you guys have done a phenomenal job. We, uh, we, you know, Juan's been out there a bunch. Uh, we've been out there a couple of times and it's, 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 you know, in my opinion, lights out. And the insane thing is it's just going to get better. And, uh, and I, I was, I was curious, you know, I know that there's the, the bronze statue of uh, Jackie Robinson that's going to be put out there. Uh, uh, if, if you don't know who Jackie Robinson is, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but uh, as a Brooklyn Dodger, uh, also the first African-American to play major league baseball. And that's going to be there by that new entrance. Is there any plans to put any additional statues out there in the future? Yeah. Sandy Koufax is coming soon. <laughs> um, when we announced the Centerfield project, um, the Dodgers also announced that there would be a second statue soon. It'll be Sandy Koufax and that will be unveiled in this 2022 season. So um, we are super excited about, you know, these two legendary Dodgers greeting our fans at the new front door. And just out of curiosity, you know, obviously moving forward, people are going to ask if there's going to be others. Is there going to be a certain criteria to meet for someone to to get that statute? Or is it just, you know, kind of... That is a total TBD. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing at a time. A Stan often tells me, don't you have enough to worry about like right now? So um, you're right. The planner in me is always trying to figure out, okay, how, how, do, we, how do we think about what comes next? But... Um, if you've seen the Centerfield Plaza, it sounds like you have, you know that the design team that we put together of Studio MLA as our landscape architects and Brenda Levin as our, uh, as our architect with the AIQ uh, back up on the pavilions, 
they've really given a lot of care to how we can expand this building so it feels like Dodger Stadium. It doesn't feel like a new intrusion. And so hopefully that added, you know, two and a half acres of space in center field will give us plenty of room to do that kind of celebration. So, and this is just inner, uh, uh, pretend planner, I guess we should say, I assume this is going to be like a, the idea maybe visually is kind of like a Dodgers monument park, if you will. That's a good good way to think about it. Sure. Um, Stan has really pushed us to, um, to make this building something that allows it to tell its own story. Uh, And that's one reason that I've been so excited about these elevators and bridges and escalators, because one of the things that we do on our, I call them our rainy day projects, is just kind of go poke through closets and storage bins and archives and just try to get anything we can that tells the story of the Dodgers out on display. And so throughout the building on every level and in the concourses, there, there are a lot of things that do tell the story of the Dodgers from, from the, the traveling trunks that they used to use when they were taking the train from Brooklyn to Vero Beach. Those are out on display. Uh, there's an exhibit now that Gary Cypress of the LA Sports Museum has loaned to us, uh, Legends of, uh, the, of the Negro Leagues that's on display uh, near the uh, stadium club in Wright Field. Uh, you mentioned yourself that it's the seats and the uh, things at the top of the park that are really fun. And of course, last year we had a lot of World Series memorabilia out. So let's hope we have more seasons like that one because that's good stuff to work with. Hey, Janet, uh, look, you're, you're right. I mean, you can go ahead and take the victory lap on that center field plaza because it, it's amazing to me uh, as much as I go to Dodger Stadium to see how how that center field plaza really did change things. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Club Ravine that has yeah. now established out there in center field. So thank you for that. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, there are a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Before that, though, I, I, I don't want to forget this. Uh, when you guys do unveil the Fernando Valenzuela statue, can you come on the show and break that news? Because that would be That'd fantastic. That would be pretty cool, and it's yeah. amazing. They're one of my favorite spots in center field is a mural that's devoted to Fernando. And it's if you hadn't seen it, make sure you um, you you get by that wall just because it's so beautifully done. And he he's such a great story, right? All these years later, he is still a great story. Absolutely. But you got the Golden Glove Bar, the Tommy Lasorda Speakeasy, and then on the side, and I don't know if this was originally part of your guys' when you were doing the renovations, but the fact that you allowed those graffiti artists to come in and, and uh, I, I don't know if you call them murals on, on the side. No, they're murals. I, I feel like everything that you were talking about in terms of how an architecture speaks to a city, the stadium everything in there the speakeasy i haven't been able to get into it i try all the time i understand it's Don't only give for, up. i know give it's up. it's only for season ticket holders i get well, it it's got, it's got a variety of different rules depending on the evening so don't give up so what, what was the story about because again i i think you did a wonderful thing in terms of combining the old and modernizing it 
but choosing Tommy Lasorda and going specific, specifically with the seventies for that speakeasy. What, what was the idea behind that? Well, we wanted to take the, the area under the pavilions that had a view of the bullpen. I mean, nobody knew it, right? It, right. it was a concrete block wall, but we knew it. And so we wanted to take that concrete block wall out, put glass in and allow fans to be at the level of the bullpen, looking into the bullpen. I mean, what, I mean, that's like the coolest thing ever, right? It's everyone loves the seats that we added, which aren't ticketed by the way, um, above the bullpens on either yes. side. So in 2014, when we did the bullpen overlooks, it gave fans a chance to be right on top of those bullpens, but now you can be at field level looking at, listen, you're closer to the picture than this coach is, you know, it's pretty, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. And so um, the gold glove bar is um, looks into the Dodgers um, bullpen and it's, it accommodates several hundred people. So I, I trust you've been in that one. Yes. Yes. The speakeasy is smaller because as much as we'd like to make every inch out there for our fans, our grounds crew needs some kind of space. (laughs) They are still a very necessary part of, of the game. And so our grounds crew has their headquarters in the uh, right field pavilion. So the spot is much smaller, which is how it came to be thought of as a speakeasy, just because it's a much smaller size. And it's also the reason you have a tough time getting in is it's just, it's just smaller. What else can I say? But that, that design was inspired by Edward Fickett's original 1962 design for the stadium club, which is long gone. I don't know when they tore it out. I'm guessing maybe it came out in the, the 70s, 80s. I really don't know. Uh, but we found the drawings of it at USC's library. And Brenda Levin and I went over and poked through them. We call USC ahead of time and ask, um, ask them if they could pull them from their archives so we could take a look at it. And then we went over to Peter O'Malley's office where he's got the original color sample boards and matched all the colors to those original boards. Um, so we're thankful that the O'Malley family has hung on to all of that stuff over the years because we've used it. So who knew that those plans existed? Was that common knowledge? No, um, I, um, I, no, I, Edward Fickett passed away, I don't know, maybe 20 years or so ago. And I had been, in, I, I had been introduced to his widow, Joyce, Joycey Fickett. And she told me that she was planning to donate all of, all of Edward Fickett's drawings and, um, and, and things from his office uh, to USC. So I got in touch with them and they, those particular things for us. Wow. So um, the pavilions, there's an, there's openings. You, you uh, when you walk into the pavilions, yeah, we call them, yeah. well, I'm sorry, what, what did you call them? We call them a cutout. A cutout. Okay. So was that part of your master plan to put mariachis in that, in that cutout? Because <laughs> we, we, we had Max Muncie on the show earlier this season and he loved that the mariachis were playing there during the game. And for me, that was a perfect spot to, to put them. That were those cutouts cool. designed for stuff like that? Well, sort of. Um, I think they've ended up being a fantastic stage for that. But they were something that we had explored doing um, a number of years ago on both the reserve level first, to tell you the truth, just because there's so many vomitories there. And 
DAIQ, the architects who worked with us on a lot of our renovations, did some exit studies. I know that doesn't sound very exciting, but we were doing these exit studies and trying to figure out if you make the pavilions, if you design them up to current code, how do you exit those? Because as you remember, the 1962 version of them was just rows of seats from one end to the other. No, no you know, a, a modest cross aisle, but no vomitories, as you as we call them. And so we could either have put in vomitories like you see on the reserve level, but the idea of doing one big one so that we had this sort of central gathering place and this iconic feature was a design that we just felt was more right. And in a little bit of serendipity um, or smarts, I don't know, it's probably a little of both. Um, the semester, the, the year before we really got to working on these projects in earnest, um, I had taught a, a architecture class at Yale. And one of my student groups had looked at the pavilions and had proposed that idea. And it was the first time we'd seen it model form. We'd been studying it, but we hadn't seen it model form. We we're like, hey, wow, Villa, that's pretty cool. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a product of a little bit of, uh, of, of engineering, engineering ingenuity on the part of our code consultants, good thinking on the part of Architects DAQ and inspired by my uh, Yale class of architecture. So I know they've had different groups there for years. It's always been an issue, but the parking and the traffic, I honestly, Janet, I don't think there's ever going to be a solution because of how that stadium is situated in the ravine. I, I mean, is there ever going to be a solution? I mean, it's always just prepare to, you know, take your time to get to the stadium yeah. and take your time getting out of the stadium, hang out in the center field plaza because I just don't know what solution there is to that. Well, I think it's, um, I think you've hinted at it in, in, in your question. I don't think there's a single solution. I think it's a combination of a million things. And we have tried very hard to um, make it easier for our fans, easier and more enticing to come early, to stay late. Um, even the Centerfield Plaza, back to these boring studies, <laughs> Um, demonstrated to us that if we could allow our fans to walk in the nearest gate as soon as they got on our property, instead of having to go around to where the, their, the ticket said they should enter, that on average, our fans could be inside the park 20 minutes earlier. Now that's significant. Yeah. yeah. So, so this investment that, that the Dodgers have made in the stadium really it really is for the fans I don't know how else to say it you know it's really designed to make it a better experience and to and to lessen the time you're in those parking lots but the other things that have really changed uh, in an amazingly good way uh ride shares really changed things that metro bus is like the best kept secret even though thousands of fans use it every game metro will send as many buses as they can fill up go to union station or go to the corner of, of Broadway and Cesar Chavez, hop on that bus, it's free. It'll take you back at the end of the game. It runs for an hour after the game. So you don't have to be the first one to leave. You don't have to stand in line and they fill them up and move them out, fill them up, move them out. And um, so that's, that's amazing and free. Did I say free? <laughs> um, and, um, and then the other thing that's changed too is I think that, um, you know, we're not afraid of walking anymore. 
And that bridge uh, that goes uh, from Dodger Stadium over to Chinatown, look, maybe one day it'll get fixed up and be a really nice bridge, but it's still a bridge. Um, and that's a 20 minute walk to the, uh, to the goal line, you know, just walking across there. Um, and of course the neighborhoods around us of, um, of, of Echo Park as well as Chinatown have really become, you know, kind of hot spots. And, and that's nice too, because we see a lot of our fans hanging out at bars and pubs in the nearby neighborhoods and just kind of making more of a whole, whole day of it. And I vouch for that shuttle service, Janet. I use it. I try to tell people that I have a VIP lane because there is a lane going up, Cesar Chavez, to Dodger Stadium that is yep. just dedicated to the shuttle. And I will That's tell you exactly that. right. You are not sitting in traffic. You are yeah. exactly right. That bus has its own route. And for all those cars that try to sneak into that lane, I've seen it. You will get a ticket. You, yes, will, you will get, get busted. That's right. You will get busted. That, that lane's for the people on the bus. That's right. Go ahead, Alonzo. One last one for me. I, I, I you know, because I know it's, it's, it's just a blanket question. I know it's going to be hard to pick, but I feel like it's a fair question. Of all the stadiums that you've had your hands in, and you don't even have to be a homer in this case, what would you say is your... I don't want to put it as greatest accomplishment, but your favorite accomplishment that you've, that you've been able to achieve with the stadiums. Well, that's like asking, you know, which of your kids do you like best? You can't, can't really do that. Right. The oldest. So I, think I can answer that question, but, um, but I, to, to paraphrase Sandcast, and I will say that working at Dodger stadium is maybe the most fun I've ever had. It, there is just something so special about that place and about Dodger fans. And I feel really lucky that I knew that building first as a fan. I, I lived in Los Angeles um, in the 80s when Fernando was on the mound. And um, my, I, I, you know, my, I had my favorite seat on the reserve level because that's what my budget was, was the reserve level. So like I knew it as just Joe fan before I ever had a chance to work there. And so I just... There's just something about that place that it is just magical. It's like walking into its own little, you know, it's its own little world and uh, big world, you know, it's um, just, it's so beautiful and the air there always just feels so fresh. I mean, maybe it's being surrounded by a lesion park on, you know, 300 to 360 degrees or always having the views of those beautiful mountains and, I just think the park has gotten really prettier with age. If you look at the old photographs, um, the thing that strikes me is that the landscaping hadn't grown up when the park opened in the early 60s. Of course, it hadn't grown up around Dodger Stadium, but even across Elysian Park, things weren't nearly as mature. And so it's just, it's just amazing to me. And one of the things that we've done in addition to all the other things we've done, <laughs> is we worked really closely um, with uh, with our with our parking and our landscape crew. I don't know if you know this, but the Dodgers are the only team in Major League Baseball with a full time arborist on staff, and uh, and and, and Prayer was uh, has really been uh, wonderful about working with us, and we've we've everywhere we could cut a little piece of asphalt out and plant trees, we've done it. And everywhere we had palm trees sort of growing out of cracks in the asphalt and we could take it out, sort of make it into a planting bed, we've done it. And I think it really makes a difference, you know, just 
and all that planting on Vince Scully Boulevard when we renamed that street, when the city renamed the street Vince Scully Boulevard, we were like, look, we, you know, we don't want to just look like a, an on ramp to a freeway. We need to like make this landscaping wonderful. And we planted these double row of trees and the zoo had some rocks and boulders that they were getting rid of that looked very much like the ones in Elysian Park. And so we took them and put them at the corners and just so that in, in this case, I think the landscape is very, in Los Angeles, the landscape is every bit as important as the architecture. And we've tried to treat Dodger Stadium that way too. Okay, well then here, let me let me rephrase my question. How about this? Since it's Dodger centric, of course, uh, what's your favorite seat in the stadium now? Well, um, I know this probably sounds kind of crazy, but I'm still partial to that same reserve section that I used to sit in when I was scrapping together enough money out of my paycheck to afford a ticket. Maybe it's sentiment, um, but I love the views there. And I love that the plazas that we built there are so spacious and had the little kids areas on them. And watching all those kids on those little playgrounds every year is just a joy to, um, it's like a little piece of kinetic sculpture. So that might be my personal favorite. Now, if I was, if I took a deep breath, I'd probably say, oh, the home run seats, because <laughs> those are pretty way cool too, um, to sit in the new seats in the pavilion um, where there never was a seat before. Janet, uh, you did not know this, but you said the secret word on this show, and that was Fernando Valenzuela. Being that you lived in the 80s uh, here and you were going to, to Dodger games, who, who was your favorite Dodger during the, that period? Did you have to one? Fernando, right? I mean, what he was just like a god. It was just was. It was so magical. I know I, I, it was just so magical. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I've seen the documentaries. I. But still, I, I have that, you know, I wasn't, I, I was young. He is the reason why I am a Dodger fan, because my family, you know, watched Fernando. But the experience of actually being in the stadium when he was pitching, we had Dale Murphy on the show, and here's an opposing player. And he yeah. was telling me, no, Fernando Mania was real. It was legit. And Dale Murphy's words, Juan, there's no oral mania, but there was Fernando Mania. It was so crazy. What yeah. would it mean to you to see Fernando's jersey retired? Oh, it'd be, uh, it would be super. As a fan, it'd be super special, right? Um, and I, we've tried, um, we're so lucky he's still there. You know, he's still there and uh, we see him around and um, he, we've tried to celebrate him in appropriate ways. And I was really struck um, several years ago when we did these big Cy Young baseballs and we asked all of our Cy Young award winners to autograph those baseballs. They all said yes, but Fernando wanted to come and see where it was. He wanted to come and understand it. He, he, he really, you know, I, I, it made me appreciate um, the thought that I think he puts and care that he puts into everything he does. Um, he, you know, he said, I'm going to say yes, but I just want to understand what you're doing and where these are going to be. And um, I hope he likes it because they're five feet in diameter. You know, it's ginormous. So it's pretty cool. Well, I'm going to ask you for a favor. Next time you, you talk to Stan, 
just to ask, hey, Stan, when, when are you guys going to retire Fernando's number? I mean, I'll, I'll tell Stan you asked that. Thank you. I'll and if he wants to come I'll, I'll on the show, the ballot, yeah, I'll put it in the ballot box. If he wants to come on to the show and tell us personally, he's perfect. He's welcome to come here anytime he wants. Uh, we're going to wrap things up, but there are a couple of sp quick questions I want to touch bases with you because you also work on Campo Las Palmas in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. And I, for me, uh, there was a period of time and under previous ownership where we really weren't putting our resources in uh, the uh, in foreign countries, so to speak. But listen, uh, reading what you guys did to that uh, to that training site, tell me why was it in so much important? I think the you guys expanded the medical uh, oh, capabilities. Everything in there, right? that was the that was the most fantastic project. Uh, the Dodgers were the first team to have a Dominican Academy um, opened in 1987. Now all 30 teams have a presence in the Dominican and it's become a real hub for international um, activity, not, not just nearby countries. Um, and, uh, and under uh, Guggenheim partners, uh, there was a decision made that, 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 was that place was important our legacy there was important. The way we train our players there was important. And we wanted, we, we looked at building something new, but we looked at what had been built in 1987 and it was so fantastic and so um, contextual. And it just feels so right. These beautiful stucco buildings with these wood crafted um, ceilings and these huge palm trees. And it just, it, it, it just, reeks dodger blue you know it just everything about it was just fantastic so we kept all the older buildings and we renovated them and just repurposed them for things that were more size appropriate i mean like we had a building that once housed 40 players now it ha houses 12 12 coaches and and eight, you know and, and the support staff and the players have a big new dorm so we just kind of repurposed the older buildings and built new ones in the same architectural character. And, um, and we just were so fortunate to find an architect in the Dominican who sort of understood what we wanted to do and, um, and was able to work with us on these projects. Um, and it's now, I think feels um, much like Dodger Stadium. It still feels authentic, but it's new again. And we tried to use even our artwork there um, to tell the Dodgers story and everything is in English and Spanish as we you know of course we have a lot of Spanish at Dodger Stadium too but um, we um, you know there's a building named after Jaime Harin there there's a build there's there's the Tommy Lasorda dining room <laughs> which was and in the Dominican he was known as known as Tom Lasorda so it's Tom Lasorda dining room so there were a lot of things that we could tell a lot of things about the Dodgers that we could tell stories about there um, and um, it's, uh, you know, we built new practice fields, new batting cages, um, a, a big new athletic uh, training complex. Um, and it's really, I think, um, one of the best, one of, you know, one of the best there is, which is appropriate for a club that was the first to commit to the Dominican that way. Are there a different set of challenges when you're doing those types of inter renovations on, an, in, on international grounds? Sure. And we, uh, you know, I mentioned Jose Melia, who was our architect uh, and our, our builder. And 
his knowledge of the country, their, their, their codes, their systems for inspections, their permitting, how to get things done. Plus you're nowhere near the city, you know, this is way out. So just getting materials out there are really important. But that building, which of course was built initially um, during the tenure of the O'Malley's, like Dodger Stadium has things that are just very much about the community. Um, there's no running water near where we are and the Dodgers had run water out to the street and have a, a spigot outside the property so that people from the neighborhood can come and get fresh water. And um, of course there are many, um, many, many stray dogs that sort of kind of makes your heart sad. So we brought a vet out, we did spay and neuter, neuter program and adopted the dogs that were on our property and now they're our pets and their names are Jackie and Sandy. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's uh, everything about it is sort of seeped in, in, in Dodger, Dodger ease. Okay, well, before we wrap things up, I just, I have to ask you this, as an Angelino, you were, you were part of a project for Pershing Square, right? The Management Association? Yeah, yeah a zillion years ago. Some of the, the ideas, I love that area. And I think it's maybe because of the Biltmore, the architecture there. What, what happened? Why didn't those plans come to fruition? I think downtown has just taken, it's been slow to take off. You know, um, I think the things that we were hoping we would see in downtown Los Angeles uh, after the 1984 Olympics um, have still today not fully materialized. You know, I think, um, I think there, golly, there's a building on Pershing Square that was on the drawing boards uh, when I was working there in the mid eighties that only opened two years ago, you know? So mm. I, think, um, I think downtown's just been slow kind of getting it sort of the kind of vibrancy together that most urban centers see in their core. And maybe that's because the other neighborhoods are so incredible, you know, there are just so many beautiful neighborhoods and they all have their own, their own parks, their own main street. You know, the people who look at LA as one big grid haven't looked closely enough because the city is just a phenomenally interesting tapestry of neighborhoods. Um, and so I think it has sort of left downtown as more of an office core and it still feels that way in many ways. So open space is really often, um, you know, the, um, the, the, in, the inverse of activity. And um, when you don't have uh, that kind of activity, there's, uh, it's tough to invest in the open space that can complement that. Um, but we never give up, right? We love, our, we love our cities, we love our downtown. And I'm delighted to see there's been an effort made recently to, um, you know, to give it another go. Well, I, when they, I, I don't know if they still do it, but when they did the ice rink there, I thought that was yeah, so that great. Yeah, that was great. And then they did it at Dodger Stadium th this past year too, the, the ice rink. So I, 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 just, I know there's probably a fear of gentrification going on there. And that is probably a struggle where you want to improve the neighborhood. You want nice things for the neighborhood, but the balance between putting in nice things and also putting people out, I'm sure complicates things. Well, but you, you listen, I think people respect, I, I think one of the beautiful things about public parks is they're free. And I think people tend to respect um, things that are well cared for. 
so um, I, I we, we should we should be caring for our public parks and making them as good as we can for whoever's using them. Absolutely. Okay, Janet, we have gotten to the point of the show. We ask this of all our guests. This is usually how we end our show. And being that you were an Angelino for a brief period of time, uh, this is a very important question. What is your favorite taco? And where I knew you were going to ask that. And where in do you listen to the show? Is that what's going on here? No, but so as soon as you said, as soon as you you said, we ask everyone this, and it's about living in LA. It had to be. What's right? It's it's taco culture, right, Janet? It's not. So, what is your favorite taco, and where in the city do you go to get this taco? Well, I I I would I probably should uh, tell you that there's some fantastic ones at Dodger Stadium, shouldn't I? Yeah. Okay. We can start with those, but then we can go outside of the city. I have no problem. We can talk about tacos all, all, all day and night. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, no, I, seriously, our chef makes a great taco at Dodger Stadium. So come to Centerfield and make sure you 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 partake. Um, what, what's the name of that uh, taco spot? But there's um, one that's La Taqueria is, is the one. It's just a, the Taqueria. The, the one in the reserve? Because there's also one. The one in, in the reserve the, is La Taqueria. And then they there's also a spot in Centerfield. Right. Okay. So what um, what is your favorite taco, Janet? Well, th- well, um, I would say the one that comes uh, co- comes off the truck is usually my favorite. So y- your choice of meat uh, isn't specific on asada or anything like. I like the bean tacos. I'm a veggie girl. Okay, all right, beans tacos. Unless I can get a fish taco. Oh yeah. <laughs> a little oh. extra guacamole on the side. Listen, a taco is a taco. That's how we look at it. We don't discriminate. Tacos or tacos doesn't matter. My wife's a vegetarian, so I understand. So I mean, we get it. We get there it. There you go. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy a good taco. Hundred oh, percent, oh, Janet. Before we let you go, I totally Excuse forgot me. to mention this, and I can't believe I did this because you need to drop this as much. In 2019, you were named one of the 30 most powerful women in sports. How does it feel <laughs> to walk around with that with that title? I mean. If I was you, I'd be dropping that every conversation I had with people. Well, that's pretty funny, huh? <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's funny. I mean, you have, I mean. I still have to go get budget approval to reupholster couches, though. But <laughs> <laughs> Camden Yards, many people have said, changed baseball stadiums. And you were a part of that. I mean, I appreciate your humility, but now is the time to be a peacock, Janet. I mean, <laughs> you are, you're playing an important role because everybody copied Camden Yards after that. Well, that was pretty amazing how it uh, set off this. That's a good for American cities too, right? It set off this wave of, uh, it wasn't just about the architecture. It was about moving back into the center city. And, you know, every, you know, whether it was Coors Field or PNC Park in Pittsburgh or Petco in San Diego, you didn't go on and on. You know, these buildings were now sort of one with the city again. And I think that really, that's where baseball ought to be, right? Uh, baseball is an urban sport. And I, I love seeing that again. And I listen, everywhere I've worked, I've just had a great team. I'm both you know, the, the team in the front office and the design team that I've had a chance to put together, you know, whether it was uh, Joe Spear and Populous at Camden Yards or whether it was DIQ at Fenway or the combination of Brenda Levin Studio MLA and DIQ at Dodger Stadium, just like all these buildings have had such a fantastic uh, support system around them. 
And um, and I, I, I love that I've been able to work at both the, the level of planning and working with transportation all the way to the graphics. You know, Ronnie Younce has um, just had a fantastic uh, touch to the graphics and um, the memorabilia that we showcase at all these buildings is something that I think brings, really brings them to life. And yeah, it's fun. It's, it's a lot, it's work, it's a job, but it is so much fun. Well, on that note, uh, also, we should also add renowned Mississippi sports hall of fame inductee in 2020, Janet Marie Smith, who has, I want to see your business card. Cause I, I have a feeling <laughs> that like, there, there's there there has to be something on the business card that that points out to, to how much I, know. Of a, I should like try we should all all sort of follow the the, the way they do in japan where your business card is like a little mini resume like that yes. would be so much more interesting <laughs> right? yes. you're i mean yours and, and to your credit it would be full of a lot of things and and nothing to to bat an eye at because you've you've uh as a as a, as a historian myself i thank you because you're one of those people that uh that uh, has preserved the beautiful history of our okay. game. And well, uh, we could put our taco on the card too. And then that way, you know, boom, boom. See, that's, that's the sort of thinking that we do here at this podcast. We don't do anything really more important than that. That's about it. We just, we just talk about tacos, but on that note, Janet Marie Smith, executive vice president of planning and development for your Los Angeles Dodgers. We're so lucky to have you in the organization. I know you're going to keep at it with, uh, with the Centerfield Plaza amongst other projects. So we're again, we're indebted to you for, for being here at this organization because you could be anywhere. And we really appreciate your time uh, joining us today because, again, you could really be anywhere, but you'd made some time for well, us. So we really appreciate it. Thanks for letting me take care of your park. <laughs> well, thanks again. And hopefully we can have you down, uh, have you on down the line. Well, I look forward to seeing you this season. Yep. There you go. There you go. Jana Marie Smith. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review to the Bleed Lows Podcast. The Bleed Lows Podcast is a Dodgers Beat production. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.